0: And welcome into the Monday edition of Spits and Suds on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Gavin Spittle, and I am joined by Sean Shapiro. If you don't know who Sean is, he is the associate editor of EP Ringside, and he's also the publisher of Shap Shots. He's well-known in the DFW community and also the national hockey community as far as being a beast covering the NHL. And happy Monday to you, Sean. How was your weekend?
1: It was good. It was was a good Monday. It was... uh... Kind of the last, uh, one of the last not busy Mondays. Sorry, not last busy weekends for, for a while between uh, lovely holidays coming up soon with Thanksgiving and 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 everything else that goes into November and December. So it was kind of one of the few uh, sit down and relax weekends for a while.
0: <laughs> As a guy who's covered the NHL for a long time, when is your date where you say, "Okay, this seems pretty consistent." Okay. This this is a good team, or you know what? They're just not going to put it together. I know the St. Louis Blues a few years ago kind of screwed up that uh, model, yeah. but yeah. What's your yeah,
1: date? And I, I don't even think the Blues. I think the Blues were an anomaly. I, I think that's something where you have to acknowledge you have to acknowledge variances when they happen. But in general, like I take a look at to me. We talked last week a little bit about the Thanksgiving date. And for me, I'm a big believer in the 20 game mark is real. In my mind, 20 games is is roughly who you are as a team. Obviously, you can change a little bit here and there, and maybe you've banked some points. But in general, for me, I think when you look at the league at 20 games, the 20 game mark kind of gives you the idea of the foundation of what a team is that that's kind of how I look at it where and let's see Dallas is at 15 games you look across the conference there's a couple teams that have played less but in general by the end of this month everyone will be at roughly 20 games and to me that's kind of the mark of this is who everyone is this is how we can kind of expect and, and readjust our expectations for the season um 15 games sometimes can be the mark but in general I think it's just enough sample size at 20 to be like okay that's what this team is this is what realistic expectations are perfect example I think is the Colorado Avalanche if you had not if you had looked at nothing from the outside at all and just been like just and painted them as a blind team not knowing they won the cup last year if you looked at them four games ago you'd be like oh I don't know but things even out and so i i I think that to me is kind of the good mark 20 games
0: so last time we talked on friday we did mention that when teams come off a long road trip it's interesting that the home game is always kind of a toss-up um and uh yeah friday night was a tough watch friday night was kind of old dallas stars friday night was just unorganized on the blue line, mistakes, penalties. It just was not a. It was not a welcome back, Jake Ottinger. Let's just say that.
1: Yeah, it was. It was a weird one too, because um, for Ottinger coming back to, and you look at his his numbers: the five goals against and eighteen shots. That's obviously far below what the norm is for him and everything like that. Um, it's a tough spot as a goalie stepping back in there um just having having not played and it's kind of it's the one position it's one of the few positions I guess quarterback is also similar like this too but it's it's one of the few positions where it's so hard to replicate anything about the game itself and Jake looked to me Jake looked a little bit shakier than than we expect Jake to be he lets up in the last what second or third period it was I think it was three goals on seven shots across the final two periods and that's just kind of the sharpness and game readiness and things like that that you pick up by playing and having real action and by being at home while the team's on a road trip and by necessity recovering from an injury it's just a tough spot and the team needed to give Jake kind of a they needed not to expose him to those the high danger chances they did as he kind of got his feet back under him. Cause and that's how I look at that game. Um it's over the star is losing to San Jose. It's it's kind of one of those losses where you take a look at it, like you're gonna lose games like that from time to time, and you just kind of move on and to kind of trans to, to go forward a day or two days, you look at they how they responded and you're like, okay. They went into Philly and they did the opposite. So I I don't have, I don't hold too much ill will towards the San Jose game. I think it just becomes kind of a burn the tape type deal and you move on from it. Just, it just becomes one of those games for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was, I was a little concerned. I thought the back checking by the forwards on Friday night, you know, a a lot of the San Jose forwards were left wide open. I mean, and credit to Mm -hmm. San Jose, they're coming off a back to back and not an easy back to back. And, you know, they had their legs and uh, they wanted it. So you know, I, I, give that, I give them a lot of credit. What I do give the credit to the Stars fans were, you know, I mean, granted, the the Flyers have been struggling. However, um, you know, I thought they came to play last night and the Flyers were coming off a back-to-back in which they got booed on Saturday. So, you know, um, the, the Stars put it to them. And uh, they put it to them pretty well. And uh, if Esa Lindell played the Philadelphia Flyers for 82 games, he might be our uh, Norris Trophy winner. He plays so well against the Flyers. It's, uh, but I mean, I thought overall it was a tremendous effort yesterday. uh, I thought they had great legs. I thought Ottinger, you're right. Um, Looked a little shaky on Friday night. Did not look shaky yesterday. Um, I thought, you know, they provided enough physical play. I love their work on the boards. Um, And I just thought overall it it, it was a great effort. And that first line really, really once again shined bright for the Stars
1: yeah i mean that 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 first line is it, it's we talked about it as one of the best lines in hockey and i don't think we're mincing words when we say that and uh i just put out a on twitter i retweeted something about probably about an hour ago so before i recorded this uh where just uh, it was uh, i want to i want to make sure i give the right credit to the name here um it's uh so if micah Micah McCurdy is on Twitter. He's ineffective math. He does some really good. Yeah, he does. Really good. He does some really good stuff. And he tweeted out the kind of the heat chart of what's happening on the ice when Jason Robertson's on the ice, which is obviously a pretty good reflection of when the stars top line is on the ice. And it is, it's impressive just looking at the chart and those charts are basically heat maps and to see how those stars are dominating and tilting the ice with Robertson and Pavelski and hints on the ice. It's, it's, it's 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 really fun to watch. And it's it's one of those things where even seeing just the visualization of it makes it even more um, makes it more real when you realize what this line is doing to other teams. It's they are they they are at a spot where the only regret you have about that line. The Only regret you have about that line is the fact that Joe Pavelski's 38. That's yeah. the only regret, that's the only regret you can have about that line. Because normally if I told you you've got this line with with hints and Robertson, two guys in their in, in their in their in their in their early twenties, and, and you can and I think they'll continue to build long-term chemistry no matter who they play with, but it's just the one thing where it's like you wish if all of a sudden uh and Joe Pavelski's gonna push for the fountain of youth longer than anyone else is anyway. But you just wish he wasn't 38 because you'd love to see what this could do for five, six, seven years. Cause then all of a sudden it could be one of those lines where you talk about the, the Bruins line or one of those other lines that had, that really gets a, it becomes a definer in the league. And so that, that's, that's the one regret about that line is that Joe Pavelski eventually father time will catch him eventually. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: it will. But I mean that, that tip <laughs> drill, he doesn't practice. Every single day that, you know, we don't see because we're not at, you know, I mean, most of the people aren't at practice, but I mean, that is a skill set. And the fact that he knows where to be and he's just so consistent. and I don't know what point, but I mean, Sean, what point do we start talking that we add another year if Joe's up for it?
1: I I mean, the way the Joe Pavelski, bringing Joe Pavelski back to Dallas, to me, isn't a question of it's not a question of should you? It's a question of will does is Joe willing to make it work financially? That that to me becomes the end of the day of it, where it's like, unfortunately if in a perfect world where this is a non-cap world, you know what? He's back next year already. You're here like, yes, he's back. Now if you can, I think it just starts to become. He's making five point five million this this year against the cap. Is that responsible for him at thirty nine? Is that so? It becomes. It just becomes a question of of cost and what Joe Pavelski willing to do. And I, th- I think that's. I think it's really going to come down to Joe. And does he want to? Does he want to stay in Dallas? And does he want to take? Because has his time in Dallas now earned him the? or the stars have they given him the time now where he will give maybe, maybe a much lower deal to make it work. It's, it'll be interesting to see what Joe wants to do because if you're a star's perspective, you're, I don't see how you don't bring him back right now. And even if he tails off a bit next year, you're playing with house money with that signing already. Like it's, it's, it's been remarkable and I would keep it rolling. It's, it's something where I would, I I, normally you'd be like, I'm not going to sign a guy who's 39, but 39 for one year for one, a one-year deal just to, to, to come back. And if he keeps doing what he does, keep it together. Like that, that to me is it's not a no brainer because there's a financial aspect to this, but it is something that I would come to the table with as Dallas and try to get done already. Like I, I would be something I'd be trying to get done mid season already.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably the quiet leader or one of the quiet leaders on this team as well. He's a pro's pro. I think the young guys feed off of him. Uh, He's smiling. He's laughing. Seems like he's enjoying his time here. Um, I don't think Joe Pavelski's that kind of guy that's going to wait to the end of the year or bargain or play hardball. I mean, he moved his family down here. So I think he likes being here. And uh, if I'm Joe Pavelski, I like being next to uh, Robertson and hints. There were stars fans and it was, semi-early on, that were a little upset that Jason Robertson's teammates did not go to the aid of Jason Robertson when he was in front of the net, uh, fell down. But if you look at the replay, I didn't have an issue with it because I thought Jason, I don't think he intentionally did it, but I think he took a late whack at the goalie pads. And so I felt as though it was justified that Philly created that scrum in front of the net.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think back. It was just, it it was a,
0: it was a, yeah. it was one of those plays, no penalties happened, but there were some stars fans. I mean, you don't have to comment. I just wanted to point it out. I mean, I didn't want to get into a a Twitter back and forth, but at the same time, I think there are times where it's warranted, but I felt as though Dallas controlled that game and I did not want to see uh, instigator penalties, which we've seen in the NHL has, you know, turn the momentum around. So I thought it was, I mean, they got in there and they held their players, but I mean, I just didn't think it was necessary uh, based on Robertson's late stick that, you know, they needed to go in there and take someone out.
1: Yeah. And and I, I think it's, if you're having discussions, I, I think if you're having discussions about whether your team is Tough enough, or are they standing up for each other, or whatever? I honestly believe that's the mark of a good hockey team. You know, know, hear me out here. It's the mark of a good hockey team because the fan base has that to complain about. Let me let me like. So if you're you're beating Philly five to one and you're complaining about are we tough enough, are we going in on this? You're not complaining about the transition. You're not complaining about wins and losses. You're complaining about whether a guy stood up for another guy, and. If that's where your level of complaining is at that that means everything else is going pretty good. So I I, it's, I think just just to bring that kind of perspective in on this where you're beating Philly five you won you want you wanted to Philly you wanted five to one. That's a team that plays that way. don't get lopped don't get roped up into their game. I'm I'm fine with I, I would I would go I came out of Sunday's game with no complaints from a star's perspective.
0: So uh, this this is an interesting week. You have the Florida swing and you have Tampa tomorrow night and then you have Florida right after that. So it's going to be, you know, the two teams. uh, I expected Florida to be better at this point, but um, kind of an interesting start to this season and, uh, you know, Tampa's Tampa. They're always going to be a a solid squad, although it doesn't seem as though they're the Stanley Cup favorites like they have been in the uh, past. So. It'll be interesting if you're coaching. If you're Pete DeBoer, who do you throw Wedgewood against?
1: Let's see. It's so it's you go. I'm trying to think of the game. So it's it's Tampa on Tuesday, right?
0: Tampa on Tuesday. Then, Panthers on Thursday. Islanders on Saturday.
1: I honest. I mean, I would play. I would play Jake. I would play Jake on both Tuesday and Thursday, honestly. Okay, so go Tuesday,
0: Thursday, maybe Wedgewood on Saturday because you have the Avalanche at home after that.
1: Yeah, I I would probably, I would, I would probably go with that. Would probably be my line of thinking if you want to get because you have the Saturday. It's the back to not the back. Sorry, it's the Monday Monday game they play Colorado. So, um, I I think you want to get Ottinger up and running again. He's playing well. Florida and Tampa are both. Are both going to be good teams um if you told me like hey we have to play Wedgwood in one of those two games probably gonna take Wedgwood probably have Wedgwood play Thursday in Florida just thinking that Jake would then play three out of four where he would play Tampa give Wedgwood Thursday and then Ottinger would play the Islanders and the Colorado game. My, to me, I think I want Ottinger playing three out of three out of these four. And I would probably have give I would probably give a wedge with the Islanders game if I'm picking. That's kind of my my, my thought process of how I do it.
0: Not to hit the panic button, but Mason Marchmont. Um, mm-hmm. got off to that hot start. And I know he's done a lot of the little things that are necessary. He's a big body a clear space but at the same time probably getting to the point where we want a little more out of him your thoughts
1: uh, you want more goals i think that's that's definitely fair but if you go and you look at you know, i i'm a big proponent of what he's done overall and, and and everything like that and i think that's fine um and and, and i think that's i think that's important I, I look at so during this streak right so he had I'm pulling this up right here as we speak. So he's got over the last 10 games, four, seven, nine, 12, 14, 16. 18, 20. So he's got about, he's average. he's got, I think it looks like it's 24 shots in the last 10 games and averaging about 2.4 per game and first three, four games of the season. And that's about what he does Every game. I mean, he had five shots on opening night against Nashville, which was a first game, big showing for him and everything like that. But the rest of the time has been kind of the offensive production shot quantity, uh, quantity, and almost maybe not the quality, but the quantity that's there. So I, I look at what Mason Marchment's doing and I don't get overly concerned to be perfectly honest, because I think he is taking a lot of the brunt of the physical space, power forward dynamic damage that Jamie Ben used to take. And we've seen what Jamie's been able to do with someone else to basically be kind of uh, a spearhead leading the line. Um, not happy with Marchman's overall game in the game against San Jose, but that's about it. Um, I, I, I think players get cold players get hot i i think in, at the in the long run it's going to be fine for marchment and he's also someone who i was doing some i was doing some work uh editing for my work over at, at ep ringside today we were talking talking to one of the our writers today just about fantasy hockey and he was talking about get, predicting the get, catching the guys on the swing and if if you're someone who plays fantasy hockey and you're looking for someone who's about to catch a hot streak and you can buy low on, I would buy low on Mason, buy low on Mason Marchman right now. So I, I'm not overly worried about him.
0: Let's move to the uh, defensive side. Your yep. thoughts after 15 games on Nils Lundqvist.
1: Oh, he's been good. He's okay. been, I, I, I like him a lot. I think he was a, um, I think that trade was something that. Obviously, uh, Jim nil makes only make Jim nil does not normally part with first round picks. we know that. So the fact Jim Nil was willing to give up a first round pick to to get him is is definitely shows a lot. And I, I think the big thing that Lundquist adds is he comes in and he just added that secondary piece that you realized John Klingberg brought but you didn't, but you don't need all of what John Klingberg did, if that makes sense. And so where I'm going with this is you needed another right-handed D who could move the puck. You needed one who was willing to be, to jump into the play and everything like that, but maybe you didn't need one who was going to take power play minutes away from Miro. And you kind of found the healthy, safe middle ground with Nils Lundqvist on that. And I I've been, you've been seeing him learn the league a little bit too. And I think that's, a progression where I've been happy with, um, there have been some, some, I don't even, I don't want to say rookie. It's funny because people forget he technically still counts as a rookie this year because he only played 25 games. He only played 25 games, NHL games last year. So he still counts as a rookie. Um, so we've still seen some quote unquote rookie moments when it comes to decision-making, but I think with the time on ice being, he's right around like 1840 a game, I think, or something like that with uh with the time on ice and the responsibility i'm really happy with that move i'm really happy with where it's going and it's 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 the type of thing where it's it's why you always have a second uh a plan b when ta- when plan a doesn't come together right like this was plan b that you acted about six months after you couldn't sign John Klingberg. And maybe this ends up being the better one, especially what's happened with John Klingberg and Anaheim this season. So I'm happy with the deal. I mean, what, what about you?
0: I thought he, you're right. He's had some defensive lapses. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised how for a defenseman that's 5'11", I don't see him pushed around. I think he carries the puck well. I think he's calm in the offensive zone. Um, So I see a lot of good qualities. Um, I think his offensive confidence will grow as he feels more comfortable. Um, So overall, I think he's been good. Um, I guess my question, and we won't know this answer, is, is he worth giving up that strong first-round pick depending on where the stars fall? And that's a toss-up, and you did get an NHL-ready defenseman. So, I like the deal, and, uh, you know, I just, I think defensively, uh, assignment-wise, um, you know, some things to work on. But you're right, he's 22. That'll happen in time. He really, this is, yeah, you're right. Essentially, he's a rookie, you know. He, he's learning right now. So, but, I mean, the skill set you could definitely see is there. So, you know, excited about that, but... You know, I saw a lot of skill set on uh, Julius Honka. You covered Honka. That was an interesting situation because at times I was like, "Wow, th- you could tell why they had the first round pick." And I was a fan of Honka, but uh, I, what happened, Sean? Yeah,
1: I, mean, I don't. I think that's uh, what happened with Honka. I, I was uh, everyone taught, and I'm, I'm willing to admit this. You you end up being everyone was wrong on Hank and i was wrong on honk yeah. i remember seeing him playing the ahl and thinking oh this is going to be this is going to be great you think of the uh the goal he scored in three on three uh uh during that kind of cameo he had in the lindy Ruff era where he was just dynamic and fun and and I, the biggest thing that happened with Julius honka is he was kind of given a rough coaching situation in front of him that he didn't really persist through. And and that's that's part, and I'm not just blaming the coaching, I'm also putting blame on the player too. He didn't really persist through, and he didn't do the other things required to, uh, to win the coach's trust to be allowed to do the other things. Julius, Julius basically was he wanted to be handed things and it's I've talked to people who know him from his time in Finland from his time in Texas all all, I've I covered him very well so I feel pretty confident speaking on this this way he is someone who wanted to be looked at as the number one defenseman the number one guy in the room and never really earned that in the Dallas organization and just kind of when he didn't get that he didn't use it as motivation to push past it. Instead, it kind of became uh, a roadblock for him. And that's essentially what happened. And I think the big thing between him and Nils Lundqvist, and this is a big one, just so people know, we aren't going down the same path on this. Nils Lundqvist has shown, and I've spoken to people about this as well, has shown and been willing to work on and make sure he's learning the defensive side of the game and he's doing the other things that will allow him to be a competent player even on the nights when the offense is there isn't there and Hanka really wasn't really wasn't that player so that's kind of the that's kind of the space where i, I look at nils lundquist as someone that is basically kind of a julius honker skill set mm-hmm. with maybe a little bit more uh little bit more fine-tuned to what he has to do to be in the league and he's with a franchise now that learned from the honka mistakes and i think the stars are doing the same thing and learning from the mistakes they made they themselves made with honka with lundquist so i think it's if, if nils lundquist has a long lengthy career in dallas the failed julius honka experiment that could be the long-term success of it in a way almost
0: that's, that's a great perspective he's sean shapiro i'm gavin spittle of 105.3 the fan Spits and Suds is the name of the podcast. Please, if you're enjoying this, favorite, download, and spread the word so that we can grow this show together. Um, Fuzzy writes in, and he says, where would you power rank the stars in the division in the NHL right now? Do you think they'll be top of the division or in a wild-card spot? Well, obviously that Avalanche team seems to have things back on track. Um, St. Louis is fascinating for me this year. Um, starting to get it together... Uh, I had them in my top three. I'll just let you know, Sean. I had the Stars fighting for a wild card spot to begin the year. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I, I had I had the Stars as a wild card team to start the year. Um, I would now put them into, I, I think, that top three in the division. I think it's going to be. I think Dallas and Colorado are going to be of the three teams in the top three right now of the division. (laughs) I would, I would put, I would put, I would right now, I would bet on Dallas and Colorado to be there. The one I just worry about is Winnipeg, just because I think they are, um, I think they're relying a little bit too much on Connor Hellebuck right now. And I think Minnesota could, you know, and I I look at Minnesota potentially uh, catching them for the top three, but I, I think the top four in this division at the end of the season will be in some order, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota. Um, I think St. Louis is turning things around a little bit, but there's only, it's a lot of ground to catch. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of ground to catch. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of in between between them. I mean, Chicago, Arizona, the Nashville are all in between as well. So, I have a hard time seeing St. Louis catch up because of this. Obviously we mentioned earlier, they did it before when they, the year they won the cup. But once again, I said, that was also more of an anomaly. Um, I, I would say Colorado is still number one in this division if you're, if you're, if you're power ranking teams, I don't know if they'll win the division, but I would say their power rankings, I would say they're number one. And then I would put Dallas at, at a number two right now, based off what they've done. And that's, and that's the stature in my mind that's gone up from the start of the season. I had them as a wildcard team. They have um, outperformed what I expected, and deservedly so. They're top two team in this division in my mind.
0: And we wanted to talk about the Hall, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame 2022 induction uh, celebration that's being held today. And you and I were talking offline that you have some issues um, with the process in which they're selected. And uh, some pretty strong opinions. So uh, I said, well, you know, let's do it on the podcast. Absolutely. So uh, t- tell me your overall thoughts.
1: So I have obviously the Hockey Hall of Fame is the induction ceremonies tonight. We're seeing, and it, my biggest issue, and and we see many people right now, and whenever right around the Hall of Fame induction weekend, you always see the number of stories of who's going in next, who was stubbed, yada, 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 all of this stuff, which is, fine. It's great. It's a great conversation. It's a great conversation in sports. It's a great conversation to have the debate of, is so-and-so a Hall of Famer? Is like, you could even have the debate about, like, we could have talked about Joe Pavelski and been like, oh, is Joe Pavelski a Hall of Famer? All of that, the biggest issue, though, becomes at the end of the day, the Hockey Hall of Fame selection process is, it's not, it's not, it, it doesn't work. Just to be completely honest, it is a so for for those people listening, just to give the quick elevator, not the elevator pitch, but the basically the quick overview of what it is to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where there's X amount of ballots and you have all of these writers and, and media members and all these people voting and the ballots become public and everything like that. The Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee is 14 people. And these 14 people, we know who the 14 people are, but we don't know how they vote. And the 14 people sign an NDA before they go into that room. And to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame, you have to get 11 of those, 11 of those 14 people have to vote for you. And it becomes, and the other issue too, with the hockey hall of fame, the only people who can nominate someone for the hockey hall of fame are those people on the selection committee. So, and the only way a name can even be discussed is if somebody from the selection committee brings them up and someone from the selection committee can only nominate one person. So Henrik and Daniel Sedin go into the hockey hall of fame this weekend, great careers, hockey hall of famers, no argument there. However, in order for them to be nominated and be into the hockey hall of fame. Someone from that 14 person committee had to nominate Henrik, another person had to nominate Daniel. And that's two spots already taken. You don't know. We don't even know which names got discussed. We don't know who didn't get discussed. You have people who have covered this game for a long time, who there's names that they think have been snubbed before. So they bring them up every year and it just becomes a space where it's so messy and unclean. And it's just, it's basically the Hockey Hall of Fame to me. and I put this on Twitter. Basically, it's become like a it's, it's a hockey museum, which is great. And that's cool. But it's basically become to me this hockey. When I look at the process, it's become it's become this museum that's basically curated as opposed to like a true mark of greatness, because we have all these people who don't go in and we have these conversations and and then even look at just the women's hockey side every single year, they can only put in you would think like each this year, there's only one, there's one female going into the players category for the hockey hall of fame this year, they can put two women into the hall of fame. But the fact that these 14 people couldn't pick a second female hockey player to get into the hockey hall of fame just shows me all of the issues with it, where we're not doing our due process. And there's, there's not the due diligence to make sure it's a true accurate of greatness and in the sport itself. I, I, I just, I would be, I know people have an issue with, with hall of fame voting for baseball and everything like that. But like baseball hall of fame voting makes the hockey hall of fame look like the hockey hall of fame makes the baseball hall of fame voting look like it's run. Like it's like an Ivy league institution. Like it's bad. It's like I, and I, and this is something where I know I'm on my pulpit and I'm rambling, but (laughs) I, you want the hockey hall of fame to mean something, but when you look at how the process is and, and how it goes, um, the amount of people that aren't in and how long it took to get some people in and yeah. the restrictions and everything. It just makes you, it starts to lessen what it means. Um, it starts to lessen what it means as like the all-time great things. Like, for example, the fact that uh, Alexander McGillney is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame is ridiculous. Like the, fa- the fact is, and we could have the whole argument about why he should or shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but if the process was better, He'd be in the Hall of Fame, and we'd be able to actually. it This wouldn't be. It's 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 a whole whole process issue, and they need they need to change how the Hockey Hall of now, Fame is. I agree. Selected. I talked to
0: I talked to Craig about this. I'm Going to give you one name: Rod Brindamore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Twenty NHL seasons, over a thousand points, not even being thought of. Some people think and, it's because of longevity that he got those points, but I mean points are points. We can't say that Joe Pavelski's near in Hall of Fame status, you know, at his age and then we're penalizing you know Brindamore.
1: Well that's the other thing. Like it's it, it's not a question of the question should be yes or no and this is the one good thing about one of the good things about the baseball Hall of Fame ballot is, right? You get you get this big ballot of names and the question and you get to the, and the question is not and the question is is this person a hall of famer and you get to check 10 boxes right the hockey hall of fame you have this 14 person committee and i've been on one of these mock committees before and it's very it can be very uh it'd be interesting how it breaks down it doesn't become a debate of is this person a hall of famer it becomes a debate of is this is this person is this are these four is this person in a better group of four than these other people who were nominated and it doesn't become a question. So it's never a question of is Rod Brendamore a hall of famer? It's a question of, Oh, well is Rod Brendamore a hall of famer over X, yeah. Y, and Z. I've always hated how, that. And that's not what it should be. It should be, is this person a hall of fame, a hall of famer? Yes or no. And that's, and you know what? I think I saw it in a, I saw someone refer to Pavelski as a future hall of famer the other day. In a yeah. copy and it was a cop, you know, set it on it was TV. It was a very glowing thing they said, but at the end of the day, if Rod Brendemore doesn't get into the Hall of Fame and Joe Pavelski never wins a Stanley Cup, it's going to every single year that's going to be, well, he never won a Stanley Cup. He didn't win a Hart Trophy. Yeah, Uh, There's someone else here who won a Hart Trophy and won a Stanley Cup. They'll get in. And Joe Pavelski will be that guy who... where Joe Pavelski may not get into the hall of fame for 30 years after he retires, because there'll always be someone else that had that other one and they can only get four people in. And it's the whole process is the whole process is, is messed up. And the fact that um, it forces us, it leads to people to debate. And like, I mean, Mike, like Mike, Mike Vernon's not in the hockey hall of fame. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's ridiculous. And, I see, I see people talk about others, other names are like, Oh, that's a hall of famer. Like, oh, with, 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 if you only can put four people in per year, let's just say in a hypothetical state you play in like, let's, let's, you play with today's league right now. So just hypothetical world where uh, Crosby, Taves, so let's say Crosby, Kane, Crosby, Kane, Ovechkin, and uh and uh, who's let's see, maybe one more here. Crosby, Kane, Ovechkin, and Malkin. Say they all retire at the same year, just randomly. Okay, yep. all four of them will be Hall of Fame eligible in the same year. You're going to say it's not a question of are those four Hall of Fame eligible. The question will be, is like, well are those four Hall of Fame eligible compared to the other people we didn't put in for 15 years? Right. That's that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. it's a problem. It's
0: a problem in multiple sports because it's not just hockey that does this. And yeah. to me, I agree with you. I mean, what does it matter if you put eight people in one year and two people in the next year? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. You if, know, that's and if it. You,
1: and, if, and if you have zero, if you have no one, if you truly have no one deserving, you have zero, that's fine. That means you've done your due diligence. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Like it's... It's, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, it's, it's a, it's such a a weird thing. And it's, and for a sport that likes to be like, oh, we're all about our history and everything like that. Like there's, there's certain people who are not in like, like, for example, since you can only put one builder into the hockey, I think, sorry, you can only put two builders into the hockey hall of fame. Do you know, Red Berenson is not in the hockey hall of fame. Like Red Berenson is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. How is he not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, it makes no and sense. Year, and and Herb Carnegie finally got in, right? Herb Carnegie finally got into the uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame. But for the longest time, because of how the rules were, because of how the rules being, you have to pick. You can only pick x amount. You basically would have to argue. Well, Red Berenson's a hockey. I, if I was to go into that committee and be like Red Berenson should be in, I would then have to argue of, well, I would then have to argue against Herb Carnegie. Like it is, it is, it is a yeah. system that needs to be completely revamped. And honestly, it also needs to be, there needs to be some uh, sem- resemblance of like accountability for it. Cause we don't know, like, we know the people that came in the committee basically meets essentially the committee meets and then they announce their names and that's it. We don't know which people they consider, like, for example, from a Dallas perspective. And I don't know if he's, I think that there's a fair, I, I, he'll, he'll never get in based off the current standards and the fact Rod Brendamore is not in. But I feel like in a more open, realistic world, you could have a fair conversation about Yuri Latinen. And mm-hmm. being a hockey hall of famer because Yuri is someone who he won three Selkies as a winger. That doesn't happen. Yeah. He won a Stanley Cup. It's the international hockey hall of fame, not the NHL hall of fame. He won hit international acc- accolade with Finland because of the current system. He'll never get in because Brendan Moore never because Brendan Moore is not going to get in. And we'll never know if he's even considered since the only way we'll, since we'll never find out which names get discussed. It's, it's. I would. I would just like to burn it all down. I would just like to burn the selection committee process all the way to the ground and just start over. Yeah, with and that, I'm honestly.
0: not. I'm not against changing out committees because I, I yeah. know this. I'm not going to say the sport, but there are talks within the room. Well, we put in a couple of players recently from this team. So do we want to do it again? Mm-hmm. I mean, that actually happens in the room, and it's like, no. If they're a Hall of Famer, they're a Hall of Famer. Who cares about the teams? Come on, guys. 100. You know, that, that, and it's those kinds of things that, you know, I mean, it would be nice to, you're right. I'm with you. I appreciate the, I appreciate the rant. By the way, for those that are listening, Joe Pavelski's 59 points away from 1,000. A shot this year that he gets it, but more realistically, we could be looking at early next year, although the pace he's on, once again, you know, it would happen if he kept on this pace, like, game 75, 76, maybe. Yeah. But you know, I mean, that's just, it's a heck of a career. I personally feel, um, that he's a hall of famer in the future, but you're right. Due to the Brenda Moore, due to not winning a Stanley cup, due to the lack of awards. Um, I, I do think it's going to be a tougher one to, uh, to get in. So, uh, and it's an interesting, and I appreciate you expressing your opinion and look forward to, uh, talking more with you about it. Uh, We went a little long today and uh, absolutely love your passion, sir.
1: It's always fun. Always fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget, uh, once again, like us, download us, spread the word about Spitz and Suds, quality stars, and today, Hockey Hall of Fame content coming at you. We'll be back here in a few days with uh, Craig Ludwig, and then Sean and I will be back on uh, Friday. So thanks for listening to Spitz and Suds, everyone, on 105.3 The Fan.